Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We have some uh, new people today who haven't uh, been in class in person before, so welcome to you. All the classes are online at gracetab.org, and you can listen to the earlier ones to catch up if you so desire. Um, Barbara Raymond, would you please say the opening prayer today? Absolutely. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be together and to get this new teaching and revelation of your word, Lord. Father, I thank you for the revelation that you've given Bruce and that he is imparting all of that wisdom and knowledge to us. Open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes today, Lord, so that we can see and get a fresh revelation of this for ourselves, so that we can become one with this word today. I thank you for what we've already received, and we're looking forward to what's going to happen today. I pray a blessing on Bruce and Jane. I thank you, Lord, for the time that they spend in your presence so they can represent you completely. And and not just here, but everywhere they go. I thank you, Lord God, that they're a testimony to your goodness. And we thank you for that. So we thank you today. We know this is going to be a blessed day, and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Hallelujah. Well, the class is called... You know, the Old Testament is revealed in the New, and the New Testament is concealed in the Old. And uh, as I said before, there's 937 scripture references from the Old Testament found in the New Testament. And um, after I cover all 937, I'm going to test you on all of them. Um We've done different things in the earlier uh, classes, um, and today my um, plan, as I announced last week, is to start in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, and go through the first 14 or 15 chapters and show you all the different places that the Old Testament is quoted by this New Testament author and see what we can learn by doing that. Um, we don't have to do it for all the Gospels, because this is just an example of how you can study the Gospels for yourselves after you've finished this class. And um, we'll go into digging out some deeper hidden truths in, the, in a couple of the future classes that are coming after today. Is that okay? Okay. Let's look at chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. And the first thing that steps out to me is it starts with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And in that genealogy, there's something interesting. Many... Christians believe that because of their past or because of their family or because of things that have happened in their life or the lives of their parents or their siblings or somebody that they're unworthy and unqualified to do things for God or to be recognized as a, as a saint, a child of the Most High God. 
But if we look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we see that in that genealogy are prostitutes, murderers, adulterers, thieves, even um, a couple of non-Jewish women who became part of the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab and Ruth. Now, Rahab was in Jericho, and um, the spies went in to scout out Jericho while Joshua and the Israeli camp was outside the, the walled city. And uh, when they were having trouble getting out of the city to go back and report, this Gentile prostitute woman named Rahab helped them by lowering them down the wall in a basket. And they said, when we come in and take the city so that you will be protected, hang a scarlet cord out your window and we will um, rescue you. You won't be destroyed like the rest of the residents of Jericho. And we all know what happened. They marched around the city seven times, blowing their shofars and banging on the drums, and the walls filled up. And Rahab was rescued. Now that scarlet cord that she hung down is a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus that rescues us when he died on the cross. Praise God. Okay. There's no coincidences with God. There was also a scarlet cord that was hung outside the door of the temple when the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement were given. And for all the years prior to Jesus, that scarlet cord would turn white as to signify that the sacrifices had been accepted by God and their sins were forgiven for another year. But after Jesus died on Passover in the year 30 and was the perfect sacrifice once and for all, they kept hanging that scarlet cord out there for 40 more years and it never turned white again. Woo, glory. Why? Because there was no need for their animal sacrifices. He had already become the perfect sacrifice as we read in Hebrews. Wow, that's good. So... Rahab was saved by a scarlet cord. A scarlet cord turning white represented atonement for the Jews before Christ, and, and scarlet represents the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us that bought atonement and redemption for anyone who would believe in him. Ruth was a Moabite married to a, a Jewish man, and uh, there was a famine in Israel, and instead of seeking God's will for what they should do, her family moved to another neighboring town, neighboring area where there were mostly um, Gentile people. And uh, her, hus her husband, her, her father-in-law, her husband, and her sister-in-law's husband were all killed. <coughs> Naomi, her mother-in-law, said, I'm going back to Israel to my people. You gals go back to your own people, too. And Ruth said, no, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So after they got back to Israel, here she was, a, a young widow. And Naomi sent her to the field of a, of a relative named Boaz. And after Ruth had found favor with Boaz, 
he sought to be her kinsman redeemer, it's called. There was one other person in line to be her kinsman redeemer, but he gave away that right to Boaz for the price of a field or something. And you can read about it in the book of Ruth. But that notion of kinsman redeemer, in that way, Boaz is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ who became our kinsman redeemer so that Gentiles could be grafted into the vine of Israel and they could all share in the fact that now all believers are God's chosen people. Amen. So those people, then Boaz and Ruth became the grandfather of King David. And um, he was told that of his kingship and his line, there would be no end until the Messiah came and fulfilled everything, sat on the throne of David forever. From Moses to David, 14 generations. From David to the exile in Babylon, 14 generations. From the exile in Babylon until Jesus, 14 generations. 14. I don't want to steal pastor's <laughs> messages about God's math and numbers that he's doing on on Wednesday nights. But um, seven is the number of completeness. And two times seven is like double completion, but 14 is also a, a spiritual number in its own right. Somebody make a note to ask me about this later because I lost my spot and I can't find it. About 14? Yeah. I will. Okay. So Matthew 1, let's go there, verses 20 through 23. Matthew 1, 20 through 23. It's talking about Joseph. Mary's betrothed husband-to-be. When he, Joseph, thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means salvation. And if we go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, we looked at this before, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
which all are names by which Jesus is also called. So the angel is confirming a sign <laughs> given by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born and it came to pass all that time later. If we keep reading, it says so this, in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, so this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took to him Mary as his wife. Turn to chapter 2 now, starting in verse 5 of chapter 2. The um, wise men from the east came to King Herod, seeking the sign that they'd been from the star that they'd been following. And they said in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. I'm the king. <laughs> there should be no other king but me. So uh, he gathered his chief priests and scribes and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born or the Messiah. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet in verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now that prophecy can be found in the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Gonna have to go back to tabs again, Jane. <laughs> Micah chapter five verse two. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Another interpretation would say from ancient times. And then Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Shiloh, again, is a reference to the Messiah who was to come. And it literally means in Hebrew, to whom dominion belongs, or whose is the kingdom, he whose right it is to reign. Obviously talking about Jesus again. 
in Ezekiel chapter 21. Ezekiel 21, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your inquiry to be remembered, and yet your transgressions are uncovered, so that in all your doings your sins appear, because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. Now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end, thus says the Lord God, Remove the turban and take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and humble the exalted. Overthrown, overthrown, I will make it overthrown. It shall, no, it shall be no longer until he comes, he is capitalized in my Bible, whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Meaning the crown, the scepter, the right to reign as we read in Genesis. Again, talking about the Messiah who was to come. Okay, we'll move ahead in Matthew chapter 2. And now it's talking about the flight to Egypt. When the wise men departed from worshiping Jesus... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a, a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. That prophecy is in Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And in Numbers 24, 8. I mean, this is not exciting, the things we're talking about. I'm trying to show you when there's a quote in the New Testament that's referring to the Old Testament, this is what I do. I go back and I find what it's talking about and I read it and I see if they're meshing in their understanding. So, I mean, I can go on and on like this all day long <laughs> and you'll all be bored sick and everyone will be asleep. It's a cure for insomnia. <laughs> But it says in Numbers 24, 8, God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, and he shall consume the nations, his enemies. So blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. The last one from Matthew chapter 2 is in verse 
verses 16 through 18. When Herod saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. This was from Jeremiah 31.15. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Again, that was written by Jeremiah hundreds of years before this happened at the time of Christ. What's that address in Jeremiah? Jeremiah 31.15. 31, 15. Yeah. What chapter in Matthew was that? It's Matthew 2, 6, 13, or 16 through 18. Matthew 2, 16 through 18. I have this kind of reference here all the way through Matthew chapter 15. Two pages of notes. I don't feel like I need to go through all of them. I mean, I can. That's what I was planning to do, but why don't we move on to something else? Is that okay? Okay. I'll... um make a copy of all these references and, and hand them out next week so you can all look them up for yourselves. Like I said, there's page one. <laughs> and this is page two. The first thing I do to answer your question, is I ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me into the things that I need to know for whatever topic I'm pursuing. And with his help, it happens quickly. You'd be surprised. I might um, think about a topic for a sermon message for several days in a row, but when I sit down to actually prepare it, I'm done in an hour. So, let's, let's go into something else. Let's go into something else. Now, in the Genesis 1, it says that the Lord God created man from the dust of the ground, and in his image he created them. And he said, let us make man in our image. So all the members of the Godhead were present during the creation of man. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that the God formed the Adam's body from the dust of the ground, and when he breathed into it the breath of life, man became a living soul or a living being. And I might have mentioned this previously, but you picture that as a light bulb. The light bulb was the body that God created for Adam, The breath that he breathed into it is the electricity that we use to plug in the light bulb. But when the bulb comes on and there's a light inside of it, that's the soul that that came forth from the merging of the breath of the life of God and the body created for man. Those two things together created his soul. So we are in God's image, body, soul, and spirit. 
If you, if you will, bless you. Jesus is like the, the body of God because he's the aspect of the Trinity that appears in human form and that came to earth and, and was given a body. The Father is like the soul of God, the mind, will, emotions, the, the thoughts and imaginings, the creative power of God. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Godhead. So God himself has body, soul, and spirit, and we're created in his image. And um, so the first scripture reference was Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image. And the second one was from Genesis 2, chapter 7, God breathed into the body that he created and man became a living being or a living soul. And I have a sheet here that I created in February of 2011. <laughs> There's five senses of your body. We all know what those are, hearing, sight, smell, taste, and touch. And they give you body consciousness. They make you aware of what's going on in your body. There's five senses of the human soul. They are reason or intellect, memory, imagination, conscience, and emotions or affection. And there's five senses of the spirit, faith, hope, love, worship, praise and worship, and fear of the Lord. The senses of the soul give us self-consciousness. The senses of the spirit gives us God-consciousness. The senses of the body give us body-consciousness. I have some of these that I can hand out for people who want them, and um, I'll put them out here, and you can come up and get one after class is over. So now let's look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Soul and body. Your soul and your spirit will live forever, your body will not. When you step out of your body at the end of your life, the part of you that steps out of your body is your soul and your spirit. They're linked together. You'll have the memories. You'll have the, it'll look just like you. If people saw this, your spirit man and your soul stepping out of your natural body, they'd all know who you were. But when you get to heaven, you'll look way better, and you'll be a lot younger, and you'll have no infirmity or scars or blemishes or anything like that. You'll be perfect. But you will still be only soul and spirit. You won't have a new perfect body or resurrected body yet until the time of the resurrection, which happens at the time of the second coming of Jesus. 
the resurrection of believers. So go to 1 Corinthians 2. So body and soul were in Matthew 10, 28. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, As it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's in Isaiah 64, 4 and 65, 17. But God, verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So this verse is talking all about the Spirit, how the Spirit of God communicates and teaches us in our spirit. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Two Corinthians or one Corinthians two twelve nine through ten and twelve and thirteen. Okay, thank you. Hebrews chapter four, verses twelve and thirteen. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, piercing even to the division of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Why is that so important? Glad you asked. (laughs) This Bible, this, this word that we've been given, inspired by the Spirit of God, was written for people who have a Hebraic mindset that understands that the spirit or the innermost being is the heart and and the primary essence of a person. But here in the Western culture, we're trying to understand it through a Western mindset that says that the intellect, a part of your soul, is the center of your being and So if you try to figure it out intellectually, that's what we were reading in 1 Corinthians 2. The gospel is nonsense. You can't figure it out. It's not meant to be understood intellectually. It's meant to be received spiritually in your innermost being. And that's where the disconnect comes in in most Western churches and for most people who are trying to understand the Bible through their soul and not through their spirit. 
But the word of God is sharp enough to separate even between soul and spirit, we just read. And it can teach you in your spirit what you're supposed to be learning from it as long as you give up trying to figure it out for yourself by your own intellect. That's why Jesus said, you have to die to yourself if you want to live for him. Yeah. Amen. Are you understanding? Mm -hmm. the, this disconnect has really held the church back all of its history since the Reformation. The people who were first given the word of God understood it differently than we have ever understood it. And we need to know what people understood at the time that these words were written so that we can understand it and comprehend it and take it into our innermost being for ourselves. And it can, can build us up and edify us into the, the individual that God has planned for us to be. Because it says in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship perfectly made and we it was ordained for us before the foundation of the world for works were ordained for us that we should walk in them so if he made us to have works that we're supposed to walk in how can we do that if we don't understand his word we don't know what his word is mm -hmm. and what he's calling us to do mm -hmm. they did a poll this was probably 10 or 15 years ago already, but 90% of people in Christian churches all over the United States could not say anything about what their calling might be in the Lord. Fewer than 10% actually knew what they were called to do or be with God. And when I've shared my testimony in the past, I always say that um, there's a that for every believer and that comes from Ephesians, from Philippians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul said, Leaving the past behind, I press on toward the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Everybody has a that. Amen. You're called to be part of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Jesus himself said, I chose you to be the part of the body that you are to be. You don't get to choose it for yourself. Amen. Can the tongue say to the foot, I have no need of you? Can the eye say to the ear, I have no need of you? All the parts have to do their own share to help the body work together for the good of the entire body. Amen. And what does it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10? It says we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged on what we did while in the body. And it doesn't mean just this body. Right. It means what did we do to do our part for the body of Christ? That's why Pastor Gary is doing some of the classes he's been doing to encourage everyone to listen and follow what God is telling you and be able to hear him for yourself. And that's why I'm teaching things that I've been shown by Holy Spirit from the Word of God 
from my perspective as being raised Jewish and from the gifts that he's given me to help all of you be able to understand it better. We're not doing it to build ourselves up. We're doing it because that's what God is calling us to do. Mm-hmm. And um, That's good. Now, um, there's lots of prophecies concerning the Messiah. And um, there's some things that I wanted to say about some of this. We talked about when in Genesis chapter uh, 15, when the Lord appeared to Abram and and he was put into a trance and a covenant was made. And it says, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abram said, how am I, how do I know that this is going to happen since I have nothing to give back to you compared to what you're giving to us? Because he had seen in a vision the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the future. The gospel that they knew in the Old Testament was that God was going to send a substitute who would come down from heaven teaching, and at his death of the despairing would find rest, or those who had lost all hope would find rest for their souls. That's the gospel they knew, and it was buried in the genealogy of Adam from Genesis 5, as I taught you before. The name Adam means man. The name Noah means rest. The name Seth means substitute. So if you take the genealogy from Adam to Noah, the first names of all the people in there spell out, for man will come a substitute, the great God will come down from heaven teaching, and at his death the despairing will find rest. That's the gospel that Abram saw in a vision. Now, if, you, if it says the word of the Lord came to you in a vision, you wouldn't see words written on a piece of paper. You'd see a vision. If I say horse, you don't think H-O-R-S-E, you see a picture of a horse in your mind. If I say it's a brown horse, then you'll see a brown horse as the image in your mind. If I say it's a brown horse and Dennis is riding on it wearing a western shirt and a cowboy hat, you'd see that. It's The vision is of images, not words. And the word that came to Abram in a vision was a vision of Jesus going to a mountain in the land of Moriah and being crucified between two thieves and then being raised from the dead. That's why when he went up with Isaac to that same exact place in Genesis 22, he told the two guys that he brought with him, the lad and I are going to go up and we will come back to you in three days. That's so good. He, he believed. They both, they went together, it says. If you look carefully, it says they went together. They both understood what they were doing. Abram, Abraham at that time was not a grown old father carrying this little boy Isaac up to the hill to sacrifice him. He was a lad of about 30 to 35 years old. 
And when they made the blood covenant that I was referring to earlier, they would dig a trench, kill the animals, the blood would spill into the trench, and the two people entering into the covenant would walk through the blood together, saying oaths to each other that they would then have to fulfill. If they failed to fulfill those oaths, they would be guilty of bad blood, it was so-called. And the curses that went along with the oaths would fall on the oath-breaker. But no blood covenant in those days was ever broken, really. But Abram didn't walk through the trench. It was a smoking oven and a burning torch. And remember, I told you, the smoking oven represents the Father. The burning torch represents Jesus. God is a consuming fire. Jesus is the light of the world. But what I wanted to add to that is when in Exodus, when they were being led after they had crossed the Red Sea, what were they led by? a cloud by day and a burning torch or a fiery pillar at night. It was Jesus himself leading his chosen people through the wilderness. He's the one that comes and interacts with us in human form or in the form of a pillar of fire or in the form of a cloud because it's the glory, his glory being reflected in that cloud. One of the words for glory in the Old Testament is kabod, C-H-A-B-O-D, and it means the weighty, heavy presence of the glory of God that sometimes comes in a cloud. It could, it's so, it could be so big that it engulfed all of Mount Sinai, and in that cloud was lightnings and thunderings, or it could be so big that it filled the entire temple when it was dedicated by Solomon so that the <laughs> priests couldn't even enter the temple to do any priestly duties, they fell on their faces in the, because of the weight of the presence of God. And that was that's the kabod, the presence. When Abram, or when Moses in Exodus 33 said, show me your glory, Lord, he said, I, I, I really can't show you my, my entire glory because no one can see my face and live but I'll put you in this cave in the rock and when I pass by I'll hold my hand over it and you can just see part of my glory well later it says that in Isaiah when in Isaiah chapter 6 he says I saw, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the four creatures were flying around his throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. But he didn't see the face of God. He saw a likeness of the glory of God. And in Ezekiel, when he had his vision and he saw the wheels and the the, the creatures with six wings and eyes everywhere. And, and there's a big throne. And on, it says on it was the likeness of the glory of God. Oh, yeah. So they didn't see the face of God. So there's no contradiction. It says they saw a likeness of the glory of God. But then you get to the New Testament. And it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it says, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, 
he has revealed him or he has come to declare him or he has come to make him known. And in Colossians 1, it says that Jesus was the visible image of invisible God who came into the world and that our job as believers is to do the works. Well, the only work that Jesus claimed we were supposed to do is to believe in him. When the disciples asked Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 29, what must we do that we may do the work of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that he sent. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible to know God because he must believe that he exists. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11. So you see, this needs to be understood spiritually. And there's things, deep, deep, deep things that people read those Old Testament scriptures and um, it's a joy to... um, expound on it for people and see the light come on in your faces in your eyes and to know that you're getting something that you didn't understand before so it's the greatest reward there is for people like me or Pastor Kerry now there's a couple things I want to point out Psalm 8 verses 1 and 2 Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now that, the first Lord is all capitals. That stands for yud vav the covenant name of God. It's the God, the part of God that created God's government and the law of seed, plant, and harvest. Whatever you sow, that's what you're also going to reap. And then the Lord, with L capitalized in small letters, could be translated in Hebrew Adonai or Elohim, which is the plural name of all three members of the Godhead. So it says, O Lord, our Lord, it's talking to all the different aspects of God. How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Ordained strength. Now turn to Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 through 16. Matthew 21, 14 through 16. Then the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Well, why in the psalm that David wrote did it say ordained strength? 
but Jesus quoted it as perfected praise. It's interesting, if you look up those words, the word for perfecting praise and the word for strength are basically two different definitions of the same Hebrew or Greek word. And um, Hosanna means save now. It was more than a cry or acclamation. It was a, a plea from these oppressed people living under this oppressive, conquering Roman regime to their savior for deliverance. And it was only later that it came to be a standard shout of praise. They expected Jesus to be the Messiah who was going to save them from Roman oppression. And, and he was going to be their political warrior hero, Messiah Ben David, the warrior king. But they forgot about the suffering servant Messiah from Isaiah 53. And if you watch The Chosen, Nicodemus was flabbergasted when Jesus told him that he came for salvation and for to deal with sin, and he wasn't going to do anything about the Romans. Because that's what they were expecting. Expectations lead to disappointment. <laughs> What you have to do is let go of expectation and take things as they come and trust God. Good. Even when you say something to somebody, sometimes you're saying it with the expectation that they'll react in a certain way. And if they don't, you'll get angry or disappointed. But it was your expectation that caused your anger or disappointment, not the way that they reacted. They can't read your mind. They don't know what you're expecting. So the one of the best things I say that I've heard in my life is speak your own truth quietly and clearly and let go of the outcome or the expectations. If you yeah. speak your truth, you'll have nothing for somebody to come back to you about. Why didn't you tell me? You know, that you just speak it out, but don't have expectations. Don't put a hook onto it. Don't think that if someone reacts a way other than the way you expect, that they're wrong. And it's really important if you're going to witness to somebody who's a non-believer. That's why I'm talking about this, because I believe wholeheartedly that this year, 2023, God is going to pour out his spirit and his glory on believers all over the world in a way that's never been done before. Hallelujah. And he's going to do signs and wonders to change the way that the world seems to be heading like a huge snowball rolling downhill toward evil and the end times and all that. And he's going to change all that, and we're going to have a a season of incredible prosperity, new inventions being brought forth that makes everybody's life better. And all the lies of the people that have been deceiving and trying to control the world for generations are going to be exposed. And they are going to be judged. And it will have nothing to do with us or Donald Trump or anybody else. It will be God doing it. Amen. 
Our hope is in you, Lord. Our life is in you, Lord. Our strength is in you, Lord. In you, it's in you. Okay. When that happens, unbelieving people are going to flock to churches and want to know what they have to do to be saved. And we have to be ready to talk to them and gently bring them in. And they might not look the way that you expect them to look or the way that you wish they looked. There was a guy once, a really down-and-out homeless man, who got tired of being ridiculed everywhere he went in the town, so he just was wandering around out in the countryside. And he came upon a little country church, and he heard them singing and worshiping inside. And when he went in and sat in the back, pretty soon people came over to him and said, oh, you know, you, you don't belong here. We, you can't stay here. You don't look like us. You're not dressed like us. You don't smell good. You, you need to leave. And they kicked him out. He's sitting on the steps in despair, and he's contemplating what to do next. He even thought about suicide. All of a sudden, he feels a hand on his shoulder. He looks up, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, don't worry, buddy. I've been trying to get into that church for 30 years, and they won't let me in either. (laughs) When they come to our church, we need to welcome them with open arms. Amen. Amen. And we need to be so rooted and grounded in the word of God and the love of God and the spirit of God that we know how to speak to them individually because the same it's not one cookie cutter message fits all some people will need to hear the truth straight up and they'll flock to it their hearts are already prepared and other people will have been hurt so badly in other churches or by people all their life that they're going to need to be gently told about the love of God that he has for them and about the prodigal son and things like that so that you can bring that kind of person back to the Lord too. And um, you may all know the parable of the footsteps in the sand, for instance, where the man said, God, when I was doing great and we were walking together. There was always two sets of footprints on the sand. And when I fell on hard times and everything was going bad, I looked, there's only one set of footprints. And the Lord said, my son, that's when I was carrying you. So the Lord, you know, it says in the Gospels that don't, Practice or rehearse ahead of time what you will say if you are forced to go before authority to defend your faith. It says, "For the Father knows what you what you will what you need to say, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words." Amen. Praise God. But you have to know how to hear His voice. Yeah. yeah. We need to be praying. Open up. My spirit to your spirit, Lord. Help me to hear your voice more clearly. Teach me through your word what I need to know for the times that we're facing in the future. And remember this. Only the devil knows your past. If you've repented, God has already forgotten it. 
Praise God. He wants us to remember it to hold us back. When he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. But in our future, that's where God is. Preparing the way. It says in Isaiah 52, You shall not go out in haste, but the God of Israel will go before you, and he himself will be your rear guard. It's, it's a reference to when they left Egypt and they were escaping from slavery. They were told, go out in haste, have your clothes on you, sandals on your feet, be ready to run and leave and take all the possessions that you can gather and go. But they were coming out of slavery. And when we're in the world, but we're not believers, we're coming out of a system where we are enslaved by our own sin and guilt and shame. Israel was coming out of an old covenant bound by the law and the curse thereof and being brought into a new covenant where their sins are forgiven, the curse is reversed because Jesus became a curse that we would receive the blessings that were due him. And how did he become a curse? He became a curse when he was hung on a tree. And when he wore a crown of thorns, he was reversing the curse that was even on the earth and on the land. Because when God cursed the earth itself, he said that now it's going to bring forth nettles and thistles and poisonous things and thorns. So he was reversing even that curse. And that's why on new heaven and new earth, there's not going to be any poisonous thing. The things that had once been poisonous the young toddler will stick his hand in the cobra's den or the viper's den and it will by no means harm him. But we have a promise right now that if we drink anything deadly, it won't harm us. It says in Mark, Mark 15, 16 or 16, 15, whatever. And that happened to us in India. Jane and I were in India in 2013, and uh, I was baptizing with my fellow uh, missionary in a river in the middle of nowhere. The first time we went in 2011, we baptized about 80 people. This time we were baptizing maybe 40 more. And the water was shallow and upriver. There's oxen and water buffalo and cows you know, doing their thing in the water. It's not clean. And this one woman had a really bad back. And she didn't want to go backwards into the water. She wanted to go forward, but she wasn't fully immersed. So he decided he's going to splash water over her back and right in my eyes and in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And right at that moment, I said, Lord, you promised that if I drink anything deadly, it by no means harm me. I'm claiming that promise right now in Jesus' name. And I never had a single symptom. Wow. Praise God. Knowing the word and the promises can save your life or save you from a real bad bout of dysentery, (laughs) whatever that might be. Um, I'm going to stop for now and ask for questions. You asked me to remind you about the number 14. That'll be next week. I have to go home and search my notes. Just a couple comments you made the image of the 
being writing on it, my image came to me of Woody in a toy store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a cowboy. But it's also when you made a uh, comment about being gentle when people come to you. I've seen people get really aggressive on the sprinkle and shower them, not hit them with a hurricane. So they will wash it well away. Yeah. Dennis? Um, can I ask about uh, last week's? Sure. Uh, uh, I just said, the first thing was Habakkuk. Uh, I wrote down Habakkuk 12, but I looked that up and I didn't see what I thought should be there. Did I write down the wrong thing? It might have been. Well, in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. That was one thing I'm... So I've also got 2 and 4 down, but... There is no... There's only three things in Habakkuk. Well, that's what I thought. I I wrote down 12 first. It has to be 2. Okay, I just wrote down the wrong... I've got 2, 4 written down also, and I looked at it, but I couldn't find the 12. Could it have been in verse number instead of a chapter? It, it's, well, it could have been, but I, that's why I asked about it's that. In, in verse 5, it says, Woe to the wicked, because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. And uh, I remember I quoted from Proverbs 27, verse 20, that hell and destruction are never full, for the eyes of man are never satisfied. And... Um, so that might be another reference from that discussion. The only thing that can satisfy is to be born again and to have no Jesus. That's the only way. When I was in my life of sin and addiction, I was never satisfied even with the many things that I accomplished things that in the eyes of the world are really incredible accomplishments. I mean, I was a MD, a specialist. I had houses, cars, all those things. But I didn't get satisfaction from them that I expected I would have. There was always an emptiness inside me because I had kicked God out of my life when I was younger. And um, until I asked him, invited him back in, I didn't know what satisfaction really was. Amen. And then I found out what it is in him. Jane? Um, as you were talking about finding that, I was realizing maybe there's others in the room who would like you to teach a little bit about how do you do that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Lord. <laughs> um, it's, you need to be in God's Word, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Um, as you study the Word of God, things will jump out to you or come alive for you in different ways. One thing that that happened for me was when I would see a verse that I didn't understand, I'd read it in three or four different translations, the same verse. And um, 
I'll just give you one example of that. And forgive me for people who've heard me say this before. But it's from John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And it's uh, 12 through 14. Jesus is saying, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do, do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And as a new believer in my first year of Bible school, I said to myself, it can't be that easy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, every Christian would have everything they ever asked for. So I read it in four different translations, and the translation that spelled it out perfectly for me was from the Message Bible. Mm-hmm. And in the Message Bible, if you read that scripture, it says, whatever you ask that's in accordance with who I am and what I'm already planning, I'll do. And so what you have to do is you have to be so intimately knowing and being known by the Lord that you understand who he is and what he's planning and then pray or speak those things over yourself and then it'll happen. The prayers that are answered that are our prayers are prayers that we know are God's wish or will for that person from our knowledge of him. Not from the knowledge of the person, but from the knowledge of God. Amen. And I'm going to do a, 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 a full teaching on the knowledge of God and how we are to acquire it um, coming up in the next few weeks. And I'm also going to do a teaching on the fear of the Lord. There's a lot we need to know about that. And I'm also going to talk more about works. And um, so that's just something to look forward to if you want to. But in the meantime, any other questions today? I've got another one here. Wait a minute behind you. Just repeat, I was really interested in that Noah's, um, his genealogy and those words. Can you just repeat what those were? Yeah, it's the names, the first names of the people in the genealogy of Adam listed in Genesis chapter 5. And it goes from Adam to Noah. Adam, the word is, is the word for man, and Noah is the word for rest. And it says, for man will come a substitute. The great God will come down from heaven teaching. And at his death, the despairing will find rest. In the blood covenant ritual, if the head of a tribe or the head of a clan was going to make covenant with another tribe or clan, they could ask a substitute to walk through the trench filled with blood for them. It didn't have to be them. It could be their substitute. So people understood about the notion of a substitute. And what we saw then in the future chapter was that Jesus became a substitute for all of mankind. He was the great God who came down from heaven teaching. 
right? They said, mm -hmm. they called him rabbi, teacher. Right. And he died for our sins. And at his death, those who were lost and without hope finally found rest because they could rest in him. So that was the fulfillment of what they knew of the gospel before he came. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, it says the gospel was preached to Abraham in the Old Testament beforehand. It's a, it's a confirmation of what I just said, written by Paul in, I think it's uh, 3.8. I'll look and make sure. Yes, it is. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, and then said, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And that was the uh, foreshadow of bringing in the Gentiles. Yes, partially. Now the other part about that, the substitute, is when Isaac and Abraham were on the Mount of Moriah and he was about to sacrifice him. It says the angel of the Lord, but it was the Lord himself who said, no, don't touch the lad. Now I see from what I know of your heart that you're willing to go through with this. Mm -hmm. And that meant that Jesus himself would have to go through with his part of becoming the substitutionary sacrifice for all of us. And then the ram caught in the thicket by its horns became the substitute for Isaac. And that was a symbol of Jesus giving himself up under his own power to be the sacrifice, no one could have forced him to do it. He said to Pilate, if I didn't go through with this on my own because, of, because I'm being obedient to my father, none of you could have forced me to do it. Yeah. He did it under his own power. He agreed to it because he saw that Abraham would have agreed to sacrifice his only son. We talked about Yaqid, the Hebrew word for only begotten son, that special only son. And it's in Zechariah 12.10, it says they will look on the only son who was pierced and wail and mourn for him. They're talking about Jesus who was going to be pierced and was God's only son. Phil? John 15 says, No greater love has a man than to give his life for his friend. Jesus was bound by that from the beginning of time because he is the word. He is yes. The but there's times when people are tested throughout the scripture to see if they will be obedient. One such testing was the manna in the wilderness. Would they trust that every day God would provide new manna and not try and hoard it overnight? Would they trust God, in other words? 
Would they believe that if they had no water, he could make water flow out of the rock? Or would they moan and complain and grumble and, you know, want to kill Moses and Aaron and build for themselves an idol to worship? And the same thing is true for us. Amen. Jesus said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Unless you eat of this bread, you, you can't be saved. But are we going to trust him? Yes. yes. Amen. When we talk about you know, the parallels that were fulfilled, that's one of the things I'm planning to talk about. And uh, when I spoke about the I am's, the seven I am's, I mentioned it, but we'll, we'll go over all that again. Yeah. Do you need reminded about the number 14? I, I have to look in my notes at home, and I'll bring it up next week. Thank you. Dennis. Oh, okay. Well, I've got a question here uh, that I stumbled over about uh, Paul uh, seeing Ananias. And uh, the first thing that he saw was the grace Oh, the God. face of God's grace. Yes. When he saw the name Ananias in Greek means the grace of God. Oh, okay. That's what his name literally <laughs> means. Oh, okay. That's why I didn't understand it. I didn't yeah. uh, catch the part about the being Greek. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yes, you, you you made a comment that you think this year, 2023, people will be flocking to the churches and looking to be saved. What, what gives you that, uh, that insight? There's two um, types of God's word. There's his written word, Logos, and then there's this, there's the rhema, the, the word obtained through prophecy or through <coughs> communion with his spirit. And um, in our time at home, we listen to what the prophets, the modern-day prophets are saying. Okay. There's several prophets, many in fact, that we trust and that we listen to regularly, and they're all saying the same thing Amen. in their own way. Do you mind saying which prophets those are? I'm curious. Well, I'll list a few. Um, Robin Bullock. Okay. Robin D. Bullock. Kat Kerr. Okay. Donna Rigney. Amanda Grace. Hank Kuhneman, Kent Christmas, and to a lesser degree, Lance Wolnow. That's just a few. That's enough. Johnny. Um, there's other people who also are listening to these prophets, and in our discussions with them, we know that they come to the same conclusions that Jane and I have. But in order for me to be on the, um, what I consider the, the front line of what God is planning for our time now, I want to hear from, the, from prophets that I trust. And one of the best ways I know that they're real is that people are criticizing them and trying to shut them up and banning them from this platform and that platform. And if you'll notice, the only people being banned are the ones that are speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. 
and the people that are allowed to speak to their heart's content are the ones that are lying through their teeth and don't even know sometimes how bad their lies are. I think they repeat their own lies so often that they start to believe it themselves. And, and um, you know, uh, Paul said in Second Thessalonians that when perilous times come, there's going to be false teachers and false prophets that will deceive many. Even some of God's elect will be deceived. And um, in my class on end times, I warned about that, and I said, I don't want anybody who's sat under my teaching to be deceived when these things happen. So even Jesus had to say in Matthew 24, see, I've told you beforehand. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I just want to make a comment. Yes. Um, just for anybody who may not know this, we you can go on gracetab.org, and all these teachings that Bruce has been giving, you can find them there in the audio form. And I find it so helpful to go over it myself at home and, and go through it a second or third time. Because a lot of it, I'm thinking about when he's saying it, and then I miss the next thing. But it's such a gift to be able to go and do that again. And the other thing is, um, Sunday, Bruce is going to be preaching at Grace Tabernacle. And I would recommend that you invite people to come, because this, he is a gift to the body of Christ. This teaching is something that you don't hear in other places. And it's such a, it would be such a blessing to other people to come and be able to hear the word of God, that he understands it as spiritual realm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So just to give you a heads up on that, it would be a, a great time, I know, on Wednesday. This has been a this has been a paid political announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I have an expectation. <laughs> um, thank you. Anyone else? Jane. There are other reasons for believing that the 